Welcome to the Awakening Church podcast. We exist to awaken this generation to new life in Christ. Thanks for tuning in. To find out more, go to awakeningchurch.com. Well, good morning, Awakening Church. Great to see you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you're new, my name's Ryan, and we're absolutely thrilled to have you join us in this new year, in this new decade together. And before we dive in this morning to the sermon, I want to highlight something that's happening in two weeks. It's actually a series we're kicking off. Uh, Get your pen out for me, would you? Write this date down, January 26th. It's the day we're uh, doing our baptism. We're kicking off a six-week series. Yes, six. There you go. Uh, called Relational Intelligence. This is going to be a great series, uh, whether you're married or single, with friendships or with your kids. How do we navigate with wisdom well the relationships that matter most? How do we begin to engage in that well? And so we're going to spend six weeks talking about relational intelligence. And for those who have been around for a while, that uh, title might seem um, familiar to you because a dear, dear friend of ours, Steve Saccone, wrote a book on it. I just stole his title. And so I thought, if I steal his title, we should invite him to come speak. So we'll have him February, what's the second week in February? February 8th, 9th? It's the week after Super Bowl. That's all that matters. And if we can, there you go. All right, write it down six weeks. And I want you to make a commitment. Would you commit to making all six weeks? Just go, you know, starting the new year, some of you are like, I want to dive back into community. This is a great, it'll be an incredibly practical series, helpful, going six weeks. I'm going to get engaged here. All right. This morning, we're continuing in our series called Awakening Vision. And last week, we said this. We said that you were created to make a difference and have an impact in this world and throughout your life. We said that God longs to use your way in significant ways, and often the missing ingredient from living out this life you're made for and just going through the motions is vision. Many of us do not live our lives with vision. Well, what is vision? We we said it this way last week. Vision is the ability to see what could be and should be in light of what presently is. It's a picture of the preferred future. See, there's, there's a massive difference between mere sight and vision. Sight is just simply seeing what is. Vision sees what could be and should be. I gave the illustration last week about my wife with the couch, and a lot of you are like, are you going to share the photos? Well, I don't have them today. I'll share them on Instagram this week, okay? But I finally found them. I'm like, wow, that couch was ugly, and I hated it. But she has an incredible vision when it comes to, uh, you know, environments and design and aesthetics. And I just have sight. I'm just going like, that's ugly. That, no, no, that's dirty. Why would we put, and she could see what could be and should be. And would you begin, my prayer is that God would begin to birth a vision in your heart in 2020 that could be and should be of how he longs to use you in significant and meaningful ways. And so last week we talked about it personally, saying how do you discover God's vision for your life? 
like personally, God's vision. And we went to 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you missed it, would you please go back and listen to it? We asked two powerful, clarifying questions that I, I think will set up your 2020 and even your decade well. And we asked these two questions. What do you need to fight for this year? And what do you need to run from? What in your life is holding you back from who you could be and should be? And what are the things that you need to fight for, for what could be and should be in your life? This morning, we want to pivot and turn and move from the personal to the corporate and ask the question this way. How do we discover God's vision for our life? Like us together, collectively, as a movement, as a church, how, how do we discover, like, God, you have a vision for us as a community. We're not here by accident. You know, I know your job brought you here, or you maybe just, like, Googled us or yelped us, and you're like, well, it's kind of happenstance. But guess what? There's no accidents in the kingdom of God. He has a plan here for you and for me, and together he says, I have a vision for this community together. And how do we discover God's vision for our life? Maybe said another way, how do you discover a God-sized vision, something bigger than you that you need others to accomplish? See, most of us give our lives to a vision that's far too small. Most of us give our lives to a vision of what could be and should be that will not support the weight of your life. Most of us give our lives to making money. Most of us give our lives to climbing the corporate ladder. Most of us give our lives to maybe trying to build a lifestyle brand, get likes and followers, own a home, somehow meet the right person, the American dream. And let me say this, there is nothing wrong with any of those things. They're just not big enough to sustain you for a lifetime. You see... When Jesus was talking to his earliest followers, he gave them a compelling call, a vision that so captivated their hearts that this ragtag, literal group of misfits, small, tiny group, ended up revolutionizing the world as they know it to the extent that Today, we are still gathering together. And guess what? God is still working, and the invitation and the compelling call is still extended. If you got your Bibles, would you open up to Matthew 28, verse 18? I think when we think about God's vision for us as a church and God's vision for us as personally, we tend to overcomplicate it, maybe over-spiritualize it. God's vision for us is very clear. He didn't leave mystery to it. He, in fact, gives us a compelling call. Let me give you a little bit of the context to verse 28. Jesus was crucified on the third day, rose again, and for about 40 days, 
He's appearing to his disciples and over 500 eyewitnesses in the area of Jerusalem and Judea. This is not just a one-shot Saul, a ghost figure. This is a consistent uh, teaching and eating and gathering training session for 40 days. And now it's time for him to pass the baton of leadership onto his disciples. And he says, all right, gang, you've seen me. You, you know it wasn't a dream. In fact, I showed up at the heart and the center of where I was crucified to make a point, to prove that this isn't just some story, but I am indeed alive. And so in light of this reality, here's your compelling call. Here's, here's your marching orders. Here's your God-sized vision. Jesus' final words to his disciples. He says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, now notice this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Uh, two things right there that I love that he begins with right here. He starts out saying, all authority. Well, how in the world does he have all authority? Well, when you predict your death and resurrection and then you do it, I think you can say all authority has been given to you. And he defeated death itself, the greatest authority in our lives. Isn't it true? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. If you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus has the power and authority. There is no question mark about it. And he says, that's our starting place for understanding our compelling call, that we are operating with a Lord and Savior who has power and authority. He says, all authority has been given to me. Now notice what he says next. Therefore, in light of my power, in light of my authority, therefore, there's something I'm going to call you to do. I have a vision so many visions, we, we begin to kill with the how question, don't we? You're like, man, I really want to, you know, get in shape this year. Well, how are you going to do it? I, I have a dream for our family. My kids will walk with Jesus. Well, how are you going to do it? What's that going to look like? Oh, do you need more willpower? You need more strength? You somehow have to kind of get it? Jesus answers the how question with himself. He says, I have a call on your life, and you're not on your own. You're like, I don't have the power. Don't worry, you don't need to. I don't have the strength. Don't worry, you don't need to. I don't know if I can. I'm pretty sure you can't. <laughs> but I have the power and authority, and in light of that reality, now listen up. Therefore, go and make disciples. This is the compelling call. Therefore, and, and if you're taking notes in this in the Greek, that, that go, it's a participle. It's not actually a command. In fact, you could translate it this way, as you go. Therefore, as you're going about your day. And the word disciple is the command. And so a good translation of this text right here would be, therefore, as you're going, disciple. Some of us get caught up with this. Well, this is the great commission for the disciples, and man, I got to go somewhere. 
No, no, no. It's more about who you are, where you're at, than going somewhere far and being someone that you're not every other day. He says, therefore, as you go about your day, mom, as you go about your day, dad, as you go about your day, student, as you go about your day, teenager, as you go about your day, engineer, as you go about your day, barista, as you go, listen, this is what you're to do, disciple. It's less of an event and more of a way of life. That's just what you do, part of who you are. It just oozes out of you. I'm just going to, a disciple is one who walks in the ways of Jesus and helps other people walk in the way of Jesus. Like I'm so following you that I can't help that it rubs off on everyone around me. It spills over in my conversations. When people ask me about my weekend, Man, let me tell you about church. Worship was amazing. Worship? What is worship? Well, let me explain to you. We gather, and then there's this rock band. Rock band? That's church? Yeah. And they're fantastic. And something happens in that moment when we worship, and it's like, wow. Let me tell you about my weekend. We had this group last night, and we gathered together. Like, group? What is a group? Well, a smaller group of people growing together to become, become more like Jesus. Okay, like, do you like candles and sing kumbaya, and is it weird? No. Like, we talk about our life, and we get into God's Word, and we go, like, what does it look like for us to live it out? And then you just begin to share about what God's doing in your life with those around you. That's called discipleship. Therefore, as you go about your day, disciple, it's a way of life. And then it says this, baptizing them in the name of the Father. It's the identification into the community of Christ. It's the public declaration. And some of you in this moment, you're going to hit, be hit with the awareness you need to go public. Your faith, by the way, was never intended to be private. It is the great American lie. It is deeply personal, but it is not private. To be a disciple of Jesus is to walk personally with Jesus and then to help others do the same. And for some, the big step is baptizing. January 26, you're going to go, I'm going to get baptized. Baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the identification. I publicly proclaim Jesus has changed my life. And then this next line, we don't, oh, sorry. We don't like this next line. In fact, we don't like it so much. Could you say it with me? Because we want to ignore this line. You ready? We're, we're going to read and teaching them, starting right there. You ready? And teaching them to See, we don't like this. No, 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 no. No, don't, don't, don't mess with me. See, I want to just be able to pick and choose what I like about the gospel and what I like about Jesus, and I want to do my thing and do it in my way, and when it works, I'll follow it, and when it doesn't, and when it's easier, or I, when I want to do something different, or when it, it messes with my style, then I'll ignore it. That's called disobedience. In fact, that's putting you as the ultimate authority, not Jesus, the ultimate authority. If he is the authority, then his ways are the best way, and you submit your way to his way. And teaching them to obey. 
For many in this room, the greatest distance in your faith with Jesus is not an experience, but obedience. And you're waiting for some experience for God to show up, and he's going, just obey what I've already showed you. God, would you just show up in my life? I have. In fact, I was really clear in that issue that you're dealing with, in that habit that you're going down. Confess it. Get right. Many of you wonder why you don't experience the power of God in your life. And the reality is, is there's a lack of obedience in our lives. The church has become anemic. The church has become um, just, you know, not relevant. Not because we need to hip up our environment. We just need to bring our lives under the word of God. In fact, when we're talking about <laughs> discovering God's will, God, I want to know God's will for my life. Oh, I want to know God's will for my life. I want this vision. Over 90%, I'm just making up a number, but it's true. Over 90% of God's will for your life is revealed in God's word. The other 10%, his unrevealed will, like who should I marry? What job should I take? God shows you when you obey his revealed will, his unrevealed will. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. I had you write down first that Jesus has all the power. Now, I want you to notice this. You are God's game plan for reaching this world, and there is no plan B. You ever wonder, come to know Jesus, why don't you just get zapped, go to heaven? It's like, I have a plan for your life. I wasn't just making that up. God loves you. He longs to use you in significant ways. Like this year, the way you live your life and go about, when you instill, like this is the vision that God has for you, like you get to shape somebody's eternity. Why would we ever get so concerned about what people think of us when we have the chance of shaping someone's eternity? And then he goes on. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now listen to this. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We see the Jesus has all the power. He gives us purpose. And then it's the promise of his presence. Notice that it's, it's not I will be with you. I am with you. You're not alone. You're never on your own. I mean, how much confidence if you actually really believe that God is with you as you go about your work, if God is with you when you're driving on your commute, God is with you when you're showing up to your school, God is with you, teenager, when you're stepping onto your campus. Like, how much more confidence if you really believed I'm stepping out in this moment and the God of the universe is with me right now, the one who has all authority, defeated sin, death, and Satan, who has called me by name, invited me to be a part of his eternal purpose on this planet. And by the way, I'm plan A, not plan B. Hello, and he's with me to empower me to do all that he's called me to do. That will change and revolutionize the way you see every single day. A compelling call. It was these words of Jesus that the disciples didn't go, ah, that's nice. 
Good idea. They took Jesus at his word, and as a result, that ragtag group of misfits revolutionized the world as we know it. Thirteen years ago, my wife and I moved back to California. We're both beach kids, Santa Cruz kids. I did my schooling in Chicago, and then my first full-time job in ministry was in Atlanta. We had three years there, and some wonderful people, but some really hard times. We moved back. I accepted a job at Westgate Church. I was there to be their youth pastor and their young adults pastor. And so we started this ministry 13 years ago, September, called Awakening Ministry to Young Adults and College Students. I remember how we came up with the name. We're driving to Ikea to get something for our house. And Jenny's like, what if we called it Awakening? She's always the one with the good ideas. And I was like, that's fantastic. Because that's what we wanted to see happen. We wanted to see Awakening. We wanted to name it after what we wanted to see happen. And so we started this ministry September 13 years ago. We had about 30 students show up. And over the course of three months, we saw it grow down to 10 You know how discouraging it is when you have a full band and you have 10 people in the audience and you get up to speak and say, why don't we just circle the chairs? Thank you very much. Let's just circle it up. In fact, in December, we took the whole month and most of January off because nobody was showing up. It's in that break that God revealed some stuff in my heart. One, that there were some deep levels of unforgiveness and bitterness to my former boss in Georgia that I needed to deal with. And I actually needed to apologize and confess to him. I learned a powerful lesson in that break that God will always work deeply in you before he works significantly through you. And for many in this room, as we talk about Awakening's vision, that's the process that he's going to take you through. Well, January, we uh, decided, why don't we just host a leadership meeting in our house and see if we can't kickstart this thing again. To our shock, 30 people showed up. Like, where were you? (laughs) And we sat down in our living room with a whiteboard. We opened God's word to Matthew 28, and we spent a few hours wrestling through what does it look like for us? What is this compelling call that captured the early followers of Jesus that has been the, the great commission of the church for centuries? What does it look like for us? And in my living room, January, 13 years ago, we penned these words. We exist to awaken this generation to new life in Jesus. We got to watch God do something when we begin to align our lives with God's vision. We went from 30 to 60 to 100 to a few hundred, and it just kept growing. And then Westgate, Steve Clifford, a great mentor and friend, says, Ryan, why don't you plant Awakening as a church? I'm like, I don't want to. I have a good deal going on here. And through a course of process, you can hear it another day, we finally said yes to the call. And we said, okay, if we're going to plant a church, it's going to be about this generation. And he said, plant Awakening as a church. And so we did eight years ago or seven and a half years ago. And we started with this vision And you know what people said? When we started out seven and a half years ago, 
We exist to awaken this generation to new life in Jesus. You know what they said? It can't be done. It's always fun when you start out and people are going, it's not going to work. I mean, we started out with a bunch of college students and young adults. We, we had, I think, 13 kids for the first two years of the life of our church because anyone who had kids that are our kids' age, um, they left because they were like, this church isn't for us. I mean, it's basically, I had three kids, the Papoulias had three kids, the Warrens had two kids. I mean, that was most of our kids. It's amazing when you have a great commitment to the Great Commission. When you say, no, 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 come hell or high water, this is where we're going, this is what we're about. And it's not based on what we can do, it's based on what he is able to do. And now we stand back seven and a half years later watching God doing our vision in front of us. So let me give you just a few observations about this vision. Some you've heard before, some you may not. First, our vision is is focused on Jesus. This is not a church about Ryan. This is not a church about being cool. This is a church about Jesus. And how do we lift the name of Jesus high? Second thing, it's about transformation. Did you see that? We exist to awaken this generation to new life. It's not... (laughs) It's not about somehow to make your old life just a bit better. In fact, that's one of the things that many people try with Christianity is instead of surrendering their whole life to Jesus, they try to add a little bit of Jesus to their life. It does not work. It's about transformation. God longs to change you from the inside out and bring you to new life, where you would step back and go, wow, the only way to explain, explain what God has done in my life is it's just new. It's just new. See, when you've experienced that, you can't stop talking about it. Some of you remember that when you first came to know Jesus, right? And you just couldn't stop talking about it. You're like, can I just tell you about Jesus? They're like, wait a second, where, what do you mean, Jesus? Who? Is that like a friend of yours? Yeah, he is, but he's, well, not like what you're thinking. And let me explain them to you. It's focused on Jesus. It's about transformation. Then it's specific to this generation. So you're like, okay, what is this generation? Why this generation? Well, real target, 18 to 25 or 18 to 30 is that target. You're like, well, I'm not in that target. I'm not in that target. Does that mean this church isn't for you? I guess. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) See, we believe we need every generation. We have four different generations at this church. We believe we need every generation, four generations that are for this generation. You know the fastest growing demographic in the Silicon Valley is 18 to 30-year-olds? Do you know that the missing demographic in the church today is 18 to 30-year-olds? You know that between the ages of 18 and 30, less than 2% are reached in the Silicon Valley, meaning they represent an unreached people group. And we know this. We get this that the future of the church rests in the hands of the next generation. And we're called to steward the next generation, to raise up the next generation. 
See, the reason this is a big deal to me outside of what God's put on our heart, I long for my kids to love Jesus for a lifetime, not just a time in their life. And so to have next door and with our uh, youth group, 20-year-olds investing in my kids that are showing them the love of Jesus, showing like college students that are, that are passionate for Jesus. Like, man, I want my kids to rub against those kids. Oh, well, that sounded weird. Let's not say that next door. You know what I mean. Golly. I won't say it that way next to them. I want my kids, when they come back from college, to see a church that's for them, that speaks their language. And for many of us who are, who are a little bit older in this generation, don't you want to pass the leadership of the church on well? To see the church in a better place than when you first found it. See, it's specific to this generation, but it is for every generation. We need all the generations together. That's why we're doing that, that faith, you know, that wisdom uh, school of faith. Because we need all the generations to accomplish this. And finally, it's expansive and global. For some, you are at awakening because you love its size. I love the size. It's big enough that I can be, you know, kind of anonymous, but not so big enough I feel lost. It's just a good size. <laughs> so nice. I see people every week. Please do not fall in love with the size of awakening. We've year over year had well over 20% growth as a church. And if we accomplish our vision, we're going to grow. Please don't fall in love with the size of awakening. Fall in love with the vision. And ask this question, how can I be a part of it? See, because God longs to use you. Not just me. Not staff. He longs to use you in significant and meaningful ways here. He brought us together for a reason and a purpose. You know, over the last few months, as a leadership council, we've been wrestling with this. What could be and should be for awakening in light of our vision? Like, what does awakening look like in three years? Like, in three years' time, it's our 10th birthday. Like, like what could be and should be for us as a community? And we began to, to write these things out. The first thing we said is that we'd be a church, think about this, where daily people step into new life in Jesus. Where daily, every single day, people step into new life with Jesus. I was so captivated. It's in um, Acts chapter 2, and I wrote it down so I couldn't forget. Verse 47, it says, and the Lord, it's given the commentary about the early church of Acts. It said, and the Lord added to their number daily those being saved. If he did it then, he can do it now. Why not now? Why not here? Why not us? Where God would say, I long to use this community. Well, by the way, that's not just me preaching better sermons. It's less about our seating capacity and more about our sending capacity. It's more about us collectively saying, no, 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 that vision, all authority, my purpose, that's mine. That's not just awakening. No, I always pay attention to people's pronouns. 
when we're talking, when they're talking about awakening, your church, uh uh-uh, our church. When it shifts to our, then we're in, and we're together, and we're arms locked saying, okay, God, how could you use us together? Would you pray this prayer? Just jot it down. I don't have it in your notes. Pray this prayer, please. Heavenly Father, would you give me an opportunity to share in some way uh, to someone about you today? Let me say it again. Heavenly Father, would you give me an opportunity to share with someone in some way about you today? Like you would begin your commute, your drive to your campus, Maybe going to uh, your CrossFit or what your Starbucks or wait, nobody goes there anymore, sorry. Uh, your third way coffee. And you would pray that prayer. Heavenly Father, would you give me an opportunity to share with someone in some way about you today? And then you keep your eyes open. And he's going to go, would you encourage them? Would you pay for their coffee? And you're going to go, oh, really? Yeah, Really? I have all the authority. Don't worry about it. And I'm with you. So take courage. I'm going to be in the middle of that moment. That we'd be a church where people daily step into new life with Jesus. And I think there's a few ways this is going to happen. One, our dream is that we would be a church in three years from now that makes a noticeable impact in our city through expressions of compassion. That that we would just see just widespread, like, we do a great job at Del Mar. In fact, this fall, we started off backpack drive, tons of backpacks for kids at need. Uh, every Friday, we bring coffee and donuts for the teachers. Uh, we've, you know, at Thanksgiving, supplied uh, meals for families over the course of that week that wouldn't have food. We, we did our Christmas tree, and we got a, a, over $11,000 for students who would not have experienced a Christmas, and they got an awesome one in the name of Jesus. I mean, we, we bring, uh, you know, we throw a party for the teachers at the end of each semester. We do a taco, you know, truck lunch for them. We love this campus well. It's time, church, that we love our city well. If awakening didn't exist, this campus would notice. They would would feel it. Our prayer is that if if awakening stopped for whatever reason, the city would notice. And where we'd get to, instead of the principal calling, the mayor would begin to call and say, hey, the way you guys are working and what you're doing, would you partner with us? Already our care team's looking into and working at how do we begin to address the homeless issue here in San Jose and begin to be a part of that. We'd make a noticeable impact in our city through expressions of compassion. That would be an everyday church, not just a Sunday church. Come on now. Stop allowing the lie that you're too busy to keep you from engaging in the community of Jesus and growing. Yeah, it, it takes time. It's a sacrifice. Yeah, there's nights where you're going like, I just want to be home instead of in a group. And then you get there. If you're like me, I've had this experience. If you're like me, you get there and you go like, I'm so glad I came. And just as your pastor, so you know, there's times where getting there is the hardest part. Getting there is going like, man, I don't really want to. There's a good game on right now. I'm just ready to relax. 
I don't want to. And then all of a sudden I get there and the community of Jesus so encourages my soul and I walk away going, I'm so glad I came. Please stop missing out on what God has for you this year, where you'd become an everyday follower of Jesus, not a Sunday follower of Jesus. You would stop coming here as your pit stop. There's nothing wrong with that. I long for you to get fed and filled up, but that you would begin to fill yourself up daily. You would get into God's word on your own. You'd begin to pray for your neighbors, and you would begin to get into a group. You go like, I'm going to start this startup thing. Because I've been floating around for a while and I need to engage. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm, you know, that January 26th relational intelligence. You know, I come on like every, once out of every four weeks and this happened to be that one. I'm going to make a commitment every sixth Sunday and how can I take a next step? Be an everyday church, not just a Sunday church. And then finally, be a strategic training center for raising up the next generation of world changers. It's part of the reason why we do School of Faith. See, for us to accomplish our vision to awaken this generation to new life, it's not about how do we draw the biggest crowd. It's how do we train up disciples of Jesus who will go and make disciples. It's a two-way street. It takes both of us. We have to create those moments, and you have to engage. It's kind of like what your professor said at the beginning of this course. You remember that? Maybe your high school teacher would say this. You're going to get out of this class what? What you put into it. Same's true here. You're like, I hate that line. Yeah, but it's true. I mean, I'm sorry. I can't help it. By the way, This is why so many people sacrificially have given to the Above and Beyond campaign, which which already we have over $900,000 given to date so that we could have a location where we can spend our energy and effort on raising up the next generation of world leaders, world changers. And so your application, your application this morning is would you take the next step Take your next step to engage at awakening. What is it? Maybe it's going to start up. Maybe it's getting baptized. Maybe it's joining a group. Maybe it's going, you know what, I've been around for a while. I'm in those. I'm not serving. Maybe it's giving here, saying I'm going to begin to put my money here so that my heart's connected here. Maybe it's saying, I'm going to make a consistent effort to meet two new people every single Sunday. But would you take your next step to engage at awakening? And when we do this together, watch out. A handful of disciples gathered together to hear the words of Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples. Fast forward a few months later, and Peter preaches a great sermon in the beginning chapters of Acts. I've never had this happen, but it would be amazing if it did. It would be awesome. And it says, and the Lord added 3,000 to their number. They had, they had 12 core and maybe about 100, 150 in their core group. And they said, we're going to get after this together. We're called And it caught like wildfire. 
God longs to do that again in our day here in the Silicon Valley. And he longs to use you and me and us together. It's a compelling vision, not just for one, but for all of us. Would you stand as we close? We're going to worship together. And I just want to pray a very familiar prayer if you've been around. I've prayed this, oh, many times over the years. But it's my prayer for you, church, for us together. And so I just want you, if you're comfortable, this is going to be a little weird. If you're new, don't worry. Don't do this. You don't have to do this. And if you don't know Jesus, don't worry about it. But if you're comfortable, would you just raise your hands to the sky? Because we raise our hands straight up to recognize our need for our Heavenly Father. We raise our hands straight, just like a little child reaches out for their Heavenly Father to say, we want you, we need you, we long for more of you. And let me pray this benediction or blessing over you. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer pain, rejection, starvation, and war so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and turn their pain into joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done in the strong name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.